Any of you uh, have friends that seem to be existing instead of living? See your hands. Two of you. Okay. Um, rest of you can go home. Get started on your picnic early. Um, a lot of people are overloaded nowadays and they're headed for a crash. Um, I, want to, I want you to consider a few statistics. People now sleep two and a half hours less than people did a hundred years ago. You're sleeping less than your grandparents did, in other words. Right? The average work week is longer now than it was in the 1960s. The average office worker has 36 hours of work piled on his or her desk, and it takes us three hours a week just to get through all the stuff, just to find what we need. Right? So three hours, we're just messing with our stuff on our desk. We spend eight months of our lives opening junk mail, two years of our lives playing phone tag with people who are too busy or who just aren't answering, five years waiting for people who are trying to do too much and are late for meetings. Okay? Now, we are a piled-on, attached, uh, stretched-to-the-limit society. And uh, many of us feel like Job did. Job said this in Job 3.26, I have no peace, I have no quiet, I have no rest, and trouble keeps coming. Now, overload comes when we have too much activity in our lives and not enough uh, margin. Too many choices, too much work, too much debt, too much media exposure. We're stressed by information overload. Uh, I know a pastor that actually had a, a nervous breakdown. I was listening to him a, a few weeks ago. He, uh, he had to go to a monastery, one of those monasteries where you don't talk. And for five days, he said, you know, they, they sang at 5 a.m. and they sang at 5 p.m. That's the only words that were spoken. And he was just out there praying and journaling. And he said after the fifth day, he had to sneak away from the compound and drive an hour and a half because he needed coffee and the Internet. He couldn't handle it after five days. And did you know that this has become one of the number one sellers? You know what this is? Monster Energy Drink. They now offer this. I thought I would tell some of you this because I know some of y'all are monster drinkers as well. They are now selling these suckers at, at Sam's for 24 of them for a dollar 18 a piece. So you pay about twenty seven, twenty eight dollars. And it says on their fundraiser idea, you know, so you can bring them back. You know how much you usually spend for these? Two bucks, two fifty. So, you know, there you go. If you want to make money, you can go buy these for a dollar 18. You know why people need these? To stay awake. Something tells me we've got this life messed up that we're living and we need to figure out a better way to do it. Is there a solution? Yes, there is. Our pace of life is just too fast, but there is a solution and it's called margin. Putting margin in your life. Knowing where the boundaries are. Knowing when to say yes, knowing when to say no. And we're going to talk about that today. Margin is space between your limit and your load. And hopefully there's space there. Hopefully you're not overloaded. Um, but the truth is, most, most of us are trying to carry too much in our lives, trying to cram too much into our schedules, and it's going to kill us if we don't figure it out. Dr. Richard Swenson, a medical doctor, says this, The conditions of modern-day living devour our margin. If you're homeless, we direct you to a shelter. If you're penniless, we offer you food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you're marginless, we give you one more thing to do. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser because you were 10 minutes late dropping off the children at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station. And you forgot your purse. That's marginless. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath at the top of the staircase. Now, that's really funny in our church um, because you walk a lot of steps to get up here. 
but breath at the top of the staircase, money at the end of the month, sanity left over at the end of adolescence. And I thought I would put in here, that's at the end of your children's adolescence, not your adolescence, because I think some of us are still in our adolescence. We won't go there. That's another, another sermon for another day. Margin is having a friend help carry the burden. Margin is having grandma taking the baby for an afternoon. Margin less is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Margin is having time to read it twice. Marginless is our culture. Margin is counterculture. Having some space in your life and schedule. Marginless is the disease of our decade and margin is the cure. All right. How many of you would admit you need more margin in your life? Again, we're getting better, but uh, maybe we'll engage the rest of you by the end of the talk. Well, if you need margin, how are you going to get there? Well, there is a solution and, and you've got to learn. You've got to decide, make determination in your life. Four things. And here are those four things. First, you've got to know whose you are, whose you are. Now, I read this this week and it really stuck in my mind. And I've repeated it probably four or five times this week because it, it really um, helped me understand this. 18 times in the New Testament, actually in the first four books of the New Testament, 18 times Jesus defined publicly who he was. There was no doubt who he was. Um, and so he, he said things like, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Um, Jesus knew who he was. He said, I'm the alpha and the omega. But he also knew whose he was. He was a very secure person, but he also knew whose he was. Look at John five nineteen. Jesus replied, I assure you, the son, he's talking about himself, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to God, the father. He refused to do anything unless he saw God doing it. So Jesus had just enough time when he was here on earth to do God's will. He didn't try to do other things. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. He had just enough time to do God's will. And the, the same is true for you. You have just enough time to do God's will in Celebrate Recovery. By the way, we're having spaghetti tonight at Celebrate Recovery, 5 p.m. Good spaghetti in Celebrate Recovery. We describe ourselves before we start in our open share group times. We say, hi, I'm Doug. I'm a believer in Christ and I struggle with whatever we struggle with. We do not say that I'm an alcoholic or, or, you know, I struggle with lust or sexual addiction or whatever it is. We don't define ourselves that way. We define ourselves as I'm a child of God first who struggles with this. My identity is not with my struggles. My identity is with my dad, my father in heaven. So I'm a Christian who struggles with and then you share that and everybody says, hey, you know, and and we go on with our share group. Um, the reason we do that is because we want to know, first of all, whose we are. I don't belong to Satan. I don't belong to my struggles. I belong to my father in heaven. And that's who I am. And he's helping me overcome my struggles and everybody else in recovery overcome their struggles one day at a time. Now, I want you to be real honest for a minute. If someone were to follow you around this week and they were to watch what you spend your time and your money on. Who would they determine that you belong to? Who would they determine that you answer to now? Ninety nine percent of the men said my wife. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's an amen from the back of the room. Where you spend in your time, where you spend in your money, that will show you who your boss is. First Corinthians six nineteen twenty says, or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. 
what I do with my body is a reflection of what I believe about Jesus Christ. If I believe that he really purchased my freedom through his death on the cross, then I'm supposed to glorify him with my body, which I look in the mirror at my body and I think, oh, man, I need to do some more glorifying. Um, I was with my older brother this weekend. We were out of town and and he's 14 years older than me and much heavier and much less hair. And we were working on my car yesterday. We had we spent all day replacing a water pump so that we could drive our Durango back home. And he Larry really struggles because he, he actually has some physical problems. When he gets too hot, he can go into anaphylactic shock and um, it, it can be really bad. He has to carry the little epinephrine pin, you know, needle that he can stab in, all that stuff. Well, he's really struggling by the end of the day because we we're in his garage and it was hot, stinking hot. We had to, and we kept going back to his old house because they've they've just moved and we had to go get every tool we needed was at the old house. And so, you know how that goes. And then we left the antifreeze over there. And so we kept going back and forth and he's got a glass of tea and he says, I'm going to go get the I'm going to go get the antifreeze. And I said, all right. And he said, he's walking. He's really having trouble walking. He said, OK, well, I think you should go with me. And I said, OK. He said, I think you should drive. I said, dude, why don't you go in the air conditioning? I mean, he looked bad and he got in the car and he goes, he goes, well, no matter how bad you look, I can always make you look better. And I laughed because he was looking bad. And I laughed and I said, and I sure appreciate that, Larry. I really appreciate you making me look better. He goes, yeah, I know. You've done that for years. You've got to know whose you are so that you do things with your body that glorify God. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect, but we can at least make an attempt at that. Um, so if you know whose you are, that helps you with the second step. Second step is... Know whom you are going to please. (laughs) Men, just keep your mouth shut and you'll get out of this one alive. Know whom you're going to please. John 530. I I can't do a solitary thing on my own. This is Jesus speaking. I listen, then I decide. You can trust my decision because I'm not out to get my own way, but only to carry out orders. Circle those words, carry out orders. That's the key to this whole verse. Jesus is speaking. You're going to carry out orders. Whose orders did Jesus carry out? God's. Do you think other people living at the time of Jesus had an agenda for Jesus's life? Do you think they did? Sure. Let me give you some examples. The Pharisees. Did they have an agenda for Jesus life? The Pharisees were the religious leaders that he confronted. Jesus was kind and compassionate to almost everybody on the earth, except the religious people. Call them snakes and vipers and hypocrites and whitewashed tombs, you know, all these things. Jesus called them those things. Do you think they had an agenda? Their agenda for Jesus was shut up and go away. Did he do it? No, they were sadly disappointed. They were so disappointed that they eventually nailed him to a cross. And and in fact, one of the Pharisees said, don't you guys understand that one person is going to die for the whole nation so that the whole nation of Israel will not perish? Now, he didn't realize he was talking about die for the sins. He just thought, you know, they were going to appease the Romans because this Jesus was a troublemaker. There were others who had uh, an agenda for Jesus. After Jesus performed the miracle where he fed the 5,000 men, we don't know how many women and children, they counted the men, had them all sit down and he takes the, the loaves and the fish and he breaks them up and he, and he feeds them. Then he sends them away. The next day, the 5,000 come back and it says in the Bible that they were intending to make him king by force. So they were going to try to force Jesus to be their king because who wouldn't want a king that could, you know, multiply bread and fish and just have... Did Jesus follow their plan? The Bible says Jesus knew their plan. And right after that, he says, here's what it costs to follow me. You know what happened when Jesus said, you got to take up your cross daily. You got to deny yourself. You've got when he said, this is what it costs to follow me. It cost me your life. 
The Bible says that they started leaving him. And it was at that point that, that Jesus said to his disciples, you're not going to leave me too. And, and Peter says, where should we go, Lord? You have the words of life. When Jesus defined what it cost to follow him, all of those 5,000 people suddenly left. They were sadly disappointed. Their agenda didn't work for Jesus' life. But Jesus' followers, his disciples also had an agenda for his life. There was one time that, that towards the end of his life, Jesus says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. Thomas, oh, doubting Thomas, says, we might as well go with him that we should die also because they've been wanting to kill Jesus in Jerusalem. So he decides he's going to Jerusalem. Everybody knows he's going to Jerusalem. They go to the Samaritan village. They find out he's going to Jerusalem and they, they start being rude to him and they won't help him out, won't give him a place to stay, won't give him food. And so the disciples had an agenda for Jesus. They said, should we call down fire from heaven? To destroy these Samaritans who are being mean to us. That was their agenda. Let's burn them up, God. Jesus rebuked them severely. So Jesus didn't follow what other people told him to do. Who was he trying to please? God. Now, when we started this church, my dad thought I was insane. He still thinks I'm insane. Not all of it has to do with the church, but a lot of it has to do with the church. He was really worried, you know, how are you going to make it? You don't have money. And I would say, Dad, God is my supplier. God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. One of my life verses. Um, Dad didn't understand. But you see, I realized a long time ago when I asked God to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life, that I would answer to God the Father, not Chuck Washburn. When I die, I don't stand before my earthly father and give an account to him for what I do. I stand before my heavenly father. I love my dad. In fact, I'm going up in a few weeks and, and we're going to film him telling me all the war stories about World War II and get him and my mom to, to tell us you know, how they met and how they got married and what it was like coming through the Great Depression. Just want to get all that on video because I love my dad, but I don't answer to my dad. And some of you have been answering to people... Your whole lives. Now, you teenagers don't take this wrong. Honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land that God is going to give you. What I'm talking about is when you are an adult and God calls you to do something, you have to make a choice. Am I going to please God or am I going to please people? Uh, that's that's what I'm talking about. Now, time for truth telling. Who are you trying to please in your life? Jesus couldn't please everybody. So what makes you think you can do it? Now, just for me, I try to please my wife. That's a good thing to do, to please my wife, to keep the harmony and the peace. Better to live in the corner. Never. No, we won't go there. Um, my wife is not a contentious woman, so don't y'all say I said that. She's the opposite of that. But I try to please my wife. I try to please my kids, but I can't always please my kids. You know, on a trip, they want chocolate milk and, and zingers. Actually, that's my snack. Um, they want chocolate milk and something all the time, every stop. But I can't please them because that's not what's good for them. I try to please the people in the church, but I figured out, you know, four and a half years. It took me four and a half years to realize I can't please all y'all. And really, I don't answer to you. I answer to God. Now, I've got to have a brain about that. But you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are trying to please people and it's killing you. You need to stop. You've got to decide who you're going to please. And see, here's something I just need to mention this. Your job is important, but it is not the end all of your life like we talked about a while ago. Your job is a means to an end. God has called you to a purpose in life, and it is not your job. Did you know that? Your job allows you to pay the bills. Your job allows you to, to um, support your family. Uh, your job allows you to be involved in the church, which is the hope of the world. Is your job the hope of the world? 
If your job, your company ceased to exist, would the world really miss it? But if the local church were to cease to exist, this world would be in deep weeds. So the order is God, my family, the church, and my job. And y'all are saying, that's easy for you to say, you're the preacher. But think about what God has called you to do. Now, God may have placed you in a job. I'm not saying all of you should be preachers for a living. God has placed you in a job and maybe he put you there so that you could reach somebody who is far from God. Maybe you're the one person who's going to be the light in that job situation. And you could do some amazing things if you would just start praying and say, God, show me where you're working. Because the Bible says that no one will ever ask about spiritual things unless God is working in their life. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless my father in heaven draws them to me. So if, if somebody asks you a spiritual question, hello, God is working in their life. And he expects you to join him. So that may mean that, that you don't you don't go over here and do whatever you were going to do. Maybe you need to just sit down with that person and say, tell me what you're thinking and begin some type of conversation. Maybe that's why God put you there now. So settle your priorities and it will save you a lot of headaches. Third thing, you've got to know whose you are, whom you are going to please. And you got to know what fills you and what drains you, what fills and what drains your tank. Mark 6:31. Then Jesus said, let's go away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Ever, ever had times where you didn't have time to eat? You were so busy. I've done that. I don't like those times. I don't like to miss meals. I make up for it the next time. Now, you've got to establish boundaries because if you don't, everyone else will have uh, an agenda for your life. So what you've got to do is you've got to determine um, some things. Now, what I'm going to do here, let's let's say that this little cylinder that I'm going to draw is your life. Now, in your life, there are things that fill you up that make you excited about life. You, you can't wait to do those things. So we're going to draw this arrow here and this is going to represent what fills you. Now, the problem is we don't just have things that fill us, right? We have this nasty little thing down at the bottom called a drain. And there are certain things that drain you. You can't stand to do them. Now, if you have more things that drain you than fill you up, you're going to be in a world of trouble because what's going to happen eventually is your level is going to come down to here. And if you if you get to this first level, we're going to call that um, worry or anxiety. You get to this level, it's like those those warning Lights on your dashboard of your car that you ignore because you think, you know, it can't be that serious. My sister did that one time. My sister's seven years older than me. And I was raised that when that light comes on, because my dad is one of the you know glasses half empty kind of guys. I'd say, Dad, my car's making this. Oh, no, you've done, you know, whatever the worst possible thing that you can think of. That's what dad assumed that happened to my car. So I, I see a warning light. I'm going to get it checked out. But my sister didn't. She kept driving, kept driving, kept driving. And one day. Her car literally went boom. I mean, the engine just she's calling dad and going, dad, my car went boom. <laughs> that was that was when dad was exactly right. The worst thing happened. The car blew up. It was a bad deal. So what I'm saying is when you get to this level, there are going to be some some things that happen in your life. It should be like a warning light that goes off that says, whoa, this is not good. Maybe you should make some choices in your life that will enable you to do better. But if you're like me and and many of you are, we ignore those those warning lights and then we get down here. We drain some more 
And at this point, we're going to call this uh, emotional turmoil. Now, as your pastor and, and as your friend, I want to flash my own um, warning signal. You get to this point, you really need to make some, some choices. Because at this point, this is God saying, this is not the life I intended for you. And if you don't make some choices at this point, you've got much more draining your life than filling your life. And the problem is, when you go past this, you get down here and this is nervous breakdown. Like I said, I talked about this pastor. I know several pastors that, that I highly admire. I listen to their tapes. I read their books. I go to their conferences. Pastors of the one that, that went to the monastery. He's a pastor of a church of 10,000 in Hawaii. Another pastor I know is a, is a pastor of a church of 20 to 25,000 on a weekend. I mean, you know, we're not just talking. We're talking 20 to 25,000 come on a weekend. He had his nervous breakdown back in 1991 and had to start going to Christian counseling. When you get to the nervous breakdown point, you have no choice any longer about what's going to happen in your life. You will either be hospitalized. You'll either have to go to um, counseling of some kind. And counseling is not a bad thing. I think we're past that finally in 2006, 15, 20 years ago. Counseling was a bad thing. It's not a bad thing anymore. And, and I'm grateful for that because you are you are going to be seriously hurting at this point And your emotional capacity in your life is going to be gone. And really, you can pretty much say that your heart towards other people is dead at this point because you just don't care. You've been you've been broken so long, you no longer care at this point And something drastic has got to happen. So if you if you don't heed the warning signs up to this point, then you're going to be in serious trouble. Now, what can we do? How can we heed the warning signs? All right. Here's what you do. You get a sheet of paper and you put a line down the middle. Real simple. You say what fills me and what drains me. Now, and you just go down, and you start listening. And if things come to your mind while I'm talking, just write them down. You have full permission to write those down. Think about those things. Things that fill me up. Our vacation, we went to New Mexico back in, in uh, July. Best family vacation we've ever had. You know why? There was no agenda. The river was right here by the condo. On this side of the condo was a little fishing pond. Free fishing for kids under 12. We went hiking up, had the greatest adventure of our lives as we're hiding under a, a uh, bulldozer and lightning and hail and all that stuff comes down. And then I broke into the little storage room so we'd have a place to hide in the hail and the lightning. And, um, you know, we, it was a great adventure. We rented a Jeep. It was a blast. You see, when I'm working, because I work at home, my office is in my, my bedroom. When I'm working, my kids can drive me crazy because Hannah will come in about every 10 minutes. Will you play with me, Dad? Will you play with me, Dad? I'm like, baby, I can't right now. I'll play with you later. You've never done that, have you? Yes. He'll come in and say, Dad, will you do this? And I'll say, not right now. But when I'm on vacation, one of the things that fills me up is hanging out with my kids. We just went on a mini vacation to my brother's. We went to an Astros game the other night and we went to Galveston Beach. And nobody's on Galveston Beach because school has started. And we had a blast, you know, throwing the Frisbee, uh, chasing the Pelicans. That was a hilarious thing, trying to see if they would fly or not. We finally got them to fly, but it took a water bottle up the rear end of one of them. And 
I couldn't get close enough. We were chasing them and I would make racket and they would kind of lift their wings, but then they wouldn't. So my brother said, here, throw this. And so I chunked it, skipped off the water and literally hit it right in the rear end and it flew. Um, so we know how close you have to get in order to get the pelicans. We just had a great time. Now, the things that drain me, going on dates. I love going on dates with my kids or my wife. I like going on dates with my wife without my kids, you know, occasionally. We go on some vacations without our kids sometimes. The things that drain me, um, too much counseling. Now, I, I enjoy counseling, premarital counseling, marriage counseling. But if I get too many of those things going on, then it drains me. Uh, going to meetings that have no point. This conference that I went to, I love going to conferences too. I get filled up at conferences, listening to other guys talk about how we can do life better, how we can know Christ better. Um, but this guy that was at this conference had a book, and I just want to get it to put it on my shelf because it reminds me of all my days in traditional church. Um, the, the book is entitled Death by Meeting. I think you ought to just put that on the marquee of, of most churches that I've been in. Death by Meeting. We will kill you, and we'll be proud of it because that will show how dedicated you are to Christ in this church. Um, anyway, we'll get off that. But th- things like that drain me. And if I have more of those things draining me than I do filling up things, then eventually I'm going to crash. And I won't do you any good. I won't do the church any good. So we've got to figure out how to walk this life together. You know, margin, build margin into our lives. The problem is it usually takes radical pain before we have radical change in our lives. Isn't that right? Some of you are almost there. If you don't make a change, there will be a severe crash in your life. Now, you only have a limited amount of life. You only have a limited amount of time. And what you pour your time into tells me what you value. My kids really don't care whether I've got the sermon done, which is my number one priority every week. My kids care about whether I spend time with them. Doesn't have to be a lot of time, but that's how I show them that I value them. So I want you to think about what fills your tank and what drains your tank. And um, I want you to be ready for others to challenge you. But that's okay. You've already decided whom you're going to please. And so you can just blow them off. Um, Not really. But but you don't have to worry about people challenge you. Okay, where's Nathan? Where are you, Nathan? Come on, dude. I need Nathan to come up here and, and help me on this one. Now, the last one, we actually changed it. So it's it's not no. uh here, here's what it should be. Just write this. He's going to throw up because he's, he's about to do a solo for you. Um, the last one is you've got to know your rhythm. Just scratch out what you got there and put know your rhythm. R-H-Y-T-H-M. Know your rhythm. Ephesians 5.17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, if you do not have enough time in your life, it means one of three possibilities. Here they are. The first possibility is you're doing something God never intended for you to do. (laughs) You're doing something that isn't God's will. Second, you're not doing what God intended you to do. That goes without saying there. Or third, you're doing the right things in the wrong way. If you go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and you look at the first chapter of that Bible, of that book, what the Bible says is that God created First day, he created some things. Second day, third day, all the way through the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says that God rested. Now, was God tired? No, he has all power. He doesn't get tired. I think what God was doing was he was modeling for us the importance of rest in your life. God wants you to rest. Not all the time, because the Bible says if a person won't work, don't let him eat. 
So the Bible tells us about work, but it also says we need to have rhythm. We need to have rest in our lives. And I ask you about that. When's the last time you had two days that you didn't do anything? Because most of the time we do not get enough rest in our lives. And God wants you to to have that. Now, we're going to demonstrate that. We need to turn on this light because we've got to get you in the... Uh, turn on your light, man. All right. Now, all right. What I want Nathan to do real quickly is I want him just to get after it, play the fastest, the hardest that he can for just a few seconds. Lay it on us, man. Yeah, pretend like you're warming up. That's that. That works. I never knew he would react like this. No, I'm right here with you, man. I got you back. I can't play drums, but I got you back. All right, give him a hand, give him a hand. Now, Nathan, um, tell us, how long could you sustain that pace? That long. About that, about that long. That was about 15 seconds. Yeah, what would happen? You're going to puke, but yeah. So now your heart's breathing and you're going to yeah. puke more. Okay. That'll be really cool. Let us get the camera going before you do it. I get my That's freaking ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. He does not need an energy drink. I promise. Now, if, if you were to do that for, let's say, five minutes, uh, how, would, how would you be physically? Uh, normally, I wouldn't be as bad as I am right now. But you'd be breathing hard because... Yeah, I'd be, uh, yeah. That's not yeah I'd be gone. Pace. You'd be gone. All right, that is not a sustainable pace. Now, if you ever hear him before rehearsal, that's what's funny, because he'll come in and he's just banging. Everybody else is ready to go, but he's, he's got to get some energy out. But he doesn't have, you know, all y'all watching. So now, okay, I want you to do another rhythm, just a simple rhythm, something that anybody could do. All right. Can y'all do that? Eventually you could. Now, how long could you play that rhythm? Forever. Forever. Now, every song is different. You know, there's fast songs, there's slow songs. But this one he could do forever because it's a sustainable pace. He is shaking like crazy. I'm surprised you're not hitting the drum there. Now, it's a sustainable pace. That's what I want you to get. Sustainable pace. All right. Can you do one more rhythm for me? Yeah. All right. Do it for me. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, you, he put the rest in there. And if you've ever done any type of music appreciation class, they will teach you that a rest is put there so that you anticipate the next beat. All right. Let's put the rest in. Let's do a couple of measures where you do the rest and then you go back in. Ready? Right. Go. All right. Now, that again, that's a sustainable pace. You could do that all day. All right. Day. And never have any trouble. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. All right. Y'all give Nathan a hand. God has designed our bodies. God has designed our souls so that we need rest in the spirit of Labor Day, which is a day of rest and relaxation. 
God designed you where if you do not get rest, God modeled it on the seventh day that he wanted us to rest. If you do not do that, eventually you're going to get down here to the nervous breakdown. I've seen it in pastors. I've seen it in family members. And I don't want to see it in you. So we've got to make some changes in our lives if we're going to um, to sustain this pace and if we're going to win the race. That's what Paul said. He said, I, I press on towards the goal to receive the prize for which I've been called. Now, if we're going to win the prize, all of us can win the race. We're not racing each other. We're racing the race that God gave us. And if we do it God's way, we will get to the end. We will make it. We will we will succeed and we'll thrive, not just exist. Now, one of my favorite verses out of the, the living Bible is Proverbs ten twenty seven, And it says this reverence for God adds hours to each day. If you don't have enough time in your life to read God's word, you're too busy. Ninety five percent of God's will for your life is contained in the pages of Scripture. We get into November, we're going to do a, a series called Authority Issues, where we're going to talk about the Bible and what it means. And we're going to talk about God's authority and, and the whole authority structure that it's set up. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to start a daily Bible reading plan where we try to get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by the end of uh, December. Four books of the Bible. We're going to try to get everybody on that same page. And we're going to do some fun stuff that, you know, we'll have some trivia questions and you'll win some prizes, you know, see if you read the Bible that week and stuff like that. But we're going to make it simple, bite-sized, because you're not going to have to read 800 chapters a day. That's unrealistic. But if you read just a couple of chapters a day, and we've got this simple acrostic that we're going to teach you about, God promises that He will make your, the rest of your time more profitable if you will acknowledge Him in your life. But the reason most people don't know God's will is because they spend no time in God's Word. And that's where He reveals Himself. Most of the time when I... I don't hear an audible voice, but when God speaks to me, most of the time I'm sitting in my recliner or Janie sits out on the back porch and in our swing. Sometimes I'll sit out there and read as I'm reading the Bible. Then what God will do is he'll begin to show me things through his word. And it's amazing how a, a document in some instances, 6000 years old, the, the first books of the Bible, about 6000 years old can apply today. That's a supernatural book. There are other books of other religions. They don't work that way. But the Bible works that way because it is God's word. That's why we call it God's word. And if you're not spending time in God's word, you will miss God's plan for your life. So we're going to try to teach you how to do that. All right. I want you to take your um, your listening guides.